I'm Bethany Planton, founder and CEO of BMP Consulting, a grant consulting firm located in Louisville, Kentucky. In 2016, I earned my Grant Professional Certified Credential from the Grant Professional Certification Institute. One of the ways I prepared to take the exam was to read and study the book, prepare for the GPC exam, earn your Grant Professional Certified Credential, which was co-authored by Kimberly Hayes DeMuga. Prepare for the GPC exam is a book for anyone in the grant grants profession or wanting to be in it. It's written in an informal conversational style with lots of practical tips, examples, and definitions. While full of good information, many books like this can be dry, but not prepare for the GPC exam. The writer's wit and humor are found on every page. So if you are thinking of sitting for the GPC exam, you can purchase Prepare for the GPC exam, co-authored by Kimberly Hayes DeMuga on Amazon. Hello there, I'm Kimberly Hayes Day Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 4 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. And we're doing more in Season 4 to help nonprofits, local governments, and the consultants who serve them raise more money and get more grants by sharing real world experiences and interviews with experts in getting it done. You may hear a y'all or two along the way mm-hmm. and singing and strange sound effects. That's just I've seen part this, of the fun. It is, and I've seen the script today, so sound effects <laughs> are coming. I'll just warn you. <laughs> no, and no extra charge for the sound effects, y'all, yeah. because you know what? There's more of us to love in season four. We've got episodes dropping every other week all year long. So let's get into it. This podcast is brought to you by season four sponsor D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com? Check it out today. Today we're talking about doing more good by doing less sometimes in grants and fundraising. That's right. And this is a topic in mindset that is so important to making lasting change in the communities we serve and how grant seekers, fundraisers, foundations, government agencies, and philanthropists have spent a lot of time perpetuating this uber competitive atmosphere. Blogger, author, and confirmed kombucha nerd, Vule opened season two of our podcast and called this kind of dynamic The Hunger Games. You may remember this best-selling young adult novel and movies set in a world with an annual ritual of government selection of children who then fought to the death until there was a single winner. Go Katniss Everdeen. Katniss. Um, I love her. While this may have been a thought-provoking read or viewing, um, the truth is there's nothing that actually needs to exist in the real world that is the Hunger Games. It's ultimately ridiculous, right? Yeah, I have to say, big again, big big Katniss fan, um, volunteering as tribute and whatnot. I, I'm kind of almost sorry I liked it so much because when you dig down, I'm like, oh, it's awful. oh my lord, it's a murder reality show with children. But... Um, all the more reason why it shouldn't be the way we go about grant seeking and fundraising. Absolutely. Um, I will say I have my own very small, very 
much less cinematic and much less dangerous version version of this that I experienced back in the early aughts that I wanted to maybe use as an example of this kind of thinking. So you know what we need to do, Amanda? Sound effect. We need to go back in time. Ready? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So picture this. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding. If you get that reference. You sound like what's her name from the Golden Girls. Girl, that's what I was going for. (laughs) That's what I was going for. So Back in the day, as the children used to say a long time ago, I was at a technical assistance workshop for a large volunteer-driven civic association in Atlanta, okay? This was their standard way that they would roll out the grant cycle every year. Every year I went, uh, whether I was working at the children's hospital, whether I was working at the food bank, and um, I would go, and there was this session, and then they would talk about the proposal, et cetera, et cetera. There was a meet and greet. All the things you know that I love in life, because oh, you yes. know, you're introvert. Nothing yeah. I love more than I'm going to be sitting in a room with 50 people, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to interact. And um, so we did, and we were standing in line. There was a line if you had a particular question, maybe about an aspect of the proposal, what have you. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I'm standing behind uh, uh, a man and a woman who were there representing another nonprofit. It doesn't matter who, and it doesn't matter what the nonprofit was. Um, but he turned around and they, he introduced himself and I introduced myself because I was raised to do so. And, and, we, and I was asking him about what his nonprofit did, et cetera, et cetera. And then the line moved up and the person who was answering the questions is someone from the association that I kind of knew because I had been doing this with them for a long time. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, hey, Kimberly. I'm like, oh, hey. And, and he kind of and, and and I was just sort of making that little motion that you can't see me doing, but I'm doing right now. It's like, hey, I'll see you in a minute, you know. And the guy who was in front of me turned around to me again at that point and was like, um, yeah, that's all nice and everything. But if you get in my way, I'm not going to be smiling at you anymore. And he didn't laugh. Oh. And, and he's about as, he was about as old as I am now. And I was just like, and I was just like, oh, well, then you better get on up there, Jethro, or whatever. You know, it was just like, I didn't, I was just like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to engage with him. But he really, what he, it was my, it was, it was, it wasn't, uh, I don't know quite how to explain it. It wasn't a joke. And if you're a woman or if you're a uh, person of color or wherever, whoever you are, you have been in a situation when you know that someone is joking with you. And they're smiling, but it's not funny. That's kind of what it was. But he was just like, yeah, I'll just take this smile right off your face. I'm like, wow, Holmes. And inwardly, I'm thinking, yeah, this grant is for what, five or $10,000? You know, if I was going to threaten murder and mayhem, I'd want a bigger payday. But that's just me. Yeah. I, just have a I just have a, you know, I'm like, if you're going to go criminal, go big. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, it was, it, I mean, the whole thing, it was so crazy. Um, and I, I still remember it. And this has to have been, this has to have been 15 years ago, how he was sort of smiling one minute and, and threatening me because I knew the person. And if I got in his way, then uh-huh. it's just kind of sad. Um, so it, that, that was fun. Um, but the good news is that Amanda has a great example of the completely opposite mindset from a mutual client, something that actually happened this past year. 
Yeah, that's true. And also very unfortunate your situation that he took it the attitude of we're competing against one another and clearly you have a leg up because you know somebody I don't. So let me chop you off at your knees, which is especially when every nonprofit there is trying to do good in the community too. Like it's not like you're like going, you're a bad nonprofit, so I don't want you to win. No, you're a good one too, but I want all the money to myself. Just a bad attitude. Um, so um, my story on the other flip side, um, throughout um, 2020 and the COVID-19 pandemic, um, so many funders and funding agencies have come together to get grants and donations out the door and com- get money and help to community as quickly as possible. We all saw this through United Ways and community foundations, and you know they're just trying to raise money quickly and get it out the door to help people in need immediately. Um, and during one of the first COVID-related funding cycles, um, There was a granting agency that contacted an executive director of a small, longstanding local primary care clinic, and they urged that director to apply for upcoming um, grant money. Uh, And the grant money was just going to be for some general operating basic service costs because they knew being a care clinic, having to deal with COVID, you were going to have some expenses whether it was related to personal protective equipment or just keeping your doors open or whatever it was. Right. Um, and so they were, they were offering and they called and, um, she said, you know, no, thanks. We're good because they were their Um, their income was coming in as planned. Um, they, everything was going well. And, didn't they they pivoted to oh god I said the pivoted word I guess I got to put ten dollars yeah. in the damn jar anyway they <laughs> changed their operations because many of their volunteers were like sixty five and or or sixties and seventies and so they they changed to telehealth and then fulfilling drop off prescriptions right oh, so yeah. it wasn't they weren't actually open. Uh, for for months, yeah. patient visits. So it was, a, yeah. it was a different setup. They weren't doing direct service every day, like in an ER or urgent care or what have you. Exactly. So, but anyway, but they, she just said, no, thanks. We're good. Well, that funding agency a few weeks later came back and was like, no, seriously, we have all this money. We want to give it to you. Apply for this grant. It'll be so easy. We'll give you money. It's a no brainer. Um, and, but the executive director to her credit, she called and checked with me first. She's like, I'm not crazy saying no to this, but she was like, the reason I'm saying no is we don't, we don't need it at the moment. And she's like, I know there are agencies out there who desperately need that money. I don't want to take it when there's other people that need it more than we do. And I just about cried on the phone when she was telling me this. I'm like, Dee, can I just say, this is why I love working with you because you look at the bigger picture, not the, Oh, it's mine. Let's take it. Let's take it. It's no, let's all work together to serve for the better good. Um, and so that's what she called back and told that program officer. She's like, I appreciate that y'all are thinking of me. There may be a time in the future where we may need help from you. And I reserve that right to call you then. But at this moment we don't. And I know, let me, you know, do I need to tell you who they are? I'm happy to send you. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so I admire her for taking the time to think through that grant opportunity and not just looking at it. Cause so many people, they chase that money, right? Even if it's not the right fit, even if it's not a need that they have, but it, I don't know how many times I've worked places where someone will come to me and go, Hey, I found a grant for us. I'm like, okay, well, what's it for? Well, we can buy X, Y, and Z with this. Okay. Do we need X, Y, and Z? And the answer is always like, well, I mean, well, yeah, we need it. I mean, we don't have it now, you know, but it's like, yeah, but why do we need it? Who are we helping? What are we making better? And usually the answer is, well, we don't have this thing right now. So shouldn't we have it? Cause we don't have it. And that, the attitude is just. Oh, wait a minute. Are you talking about attitude. children and Xboxes? What are you talking about? Yeah, no, no, I'm talking about grown up adults who run mm. lots of 
agencies. No, yeah. I'm kidding. I've, yes. I've heard it yes. too. I've heard I it know too. you have. We, every great writer has, right? Because it's, it's the attitude of there's money. We should get it. If we, if we can get it, why don't we get it? Um, and don't get me wrong. Every agency probably has a certain need for grants to help fund things that aren't being done well or aren't being done at all, that there are clients and people and environments and Maybe. dogs and puppies and babies and that need help. And grants are a great way to do that. But I always try to tell everybody when I, when I teach a writing class, if you can start with a need, yep. then you can find the right grant that will fulfill that need. If all you're doing is chasing money, number one, you're not going to be very successful at getting the grant. And number two, you're wasting everybody's time. So. Or if you are lucky enough to get the grant under, I won't say false pretenses, but at least inflated ones, um, then you're going to have to take your resources that you have and fulfill whatever you said you're going to do in that grant to get that thing that you, yes. I'm just saying. Yeah. Just saying. So I would say too, when you first told me about the the story about turning down the, the turn down the mix is like, no, we really don't need it. Now our model is changed for the moment. And, but there are other programs that really do need it. Um, I was amazed, and like you said, I'm like, oh, that's so great. But having thought about it more, I, it almost makes me feel bad that I was so amazed, right? Because this kind of strategic and compassionate thinking shouldn't have to be just like this rarity. Like it shouldn't be the hope diamond of the grant-seeking and fundraising world. Although the hope diamond has really bad luck, so maybe that was a bad example. <laughs> um, anyway. but no, but you're I, right. It's, it it's just be. It should, that should, maybe, maybe it should be a little more of the given. But I have to come and say, before I'm throwing either the Hope Diamond or rocks from my glass house here, um, I did not always think that way. And the first, for the first at least ten years or so, when I was um, seeking grant, a grant seeker or fundraiser full time, I was not about that. I, it, under, I you may think of me as a mild mannered introvert with um, occasional bursts of song, but inside there's this very um, fierce competitive perfectionist um and that's that's not a good thing to live with but it just is a way but who loved who loved getting those grants the larger and more prestigious the better um then I'm, I'm good at it right I've, i'm doing it for a long time i'm good at it and 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 i management evaluated my job performance on how good i was and how i exceeded goals in most cases because y'all all know this they give you a goal and then if you meet it you gotta you just do more it's like it was this um and I, I I get it completely on one end, but it it's really not it's really not the best way to do good in the community to affect true and positive change. Um, and this Hunger Games style of grant seeking and fundraising it just perpetuates a cycle um, where people and communities who could benefit the most from funding are kind of the least competitive, right? Because they're under-resourced and focused on serving the community. I'm going to go back to the Hunger Games for just a second. You may remember this, but in uh, the first book, you know, there were these, that little girl, her name was Rue, and she was like 12 years old. And basically they were like, yeah, some of these kids are just cannon fodder. Now that's horrifying. Yes. But those were the kids and communities that came from that needed the most help, right? That was a novel. Here we are today. But um, I think it just perpetuates this, and I think it perpetuates inequity. And I think there's a better way to do it. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying never write a grant and get fired because you refuse to write grants because you're like a conscientious objector to grant writing. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying maybe we should give it some thought. And um, 
I have a feeling Amanda has something she wants to say. <laughs> well, I've definitely seen that on the flip side as a grant reviewer. And mm-hmm. uh, Kimberly, I know I've talked about this some before in other um, story settings, um, but I've reviewed, gosh, a, a dozen times by now, um, different programs for the Georgia Department of Education. Um, so they get a lot of federal money, comes down to the state agency, and then it gets spread out amongst all the K-12 school systems um, in Georgia through a bunch of different competitive processes. Um, and it's almost like, well, it's not almost like, it is the way it's set up for you to score these applications it's not solely just based on need. It is based on who knows how to play the game. It's based on who answers the questions the right way. And to a certain extent, I understand some things, right? You know, if you're giving millions of dollars to an agency, you don't just throw money at them and hope it goes well, right? There needs to be a plan in place. Absolutely. Absolutely. All those things. Right. But it also is very interesting to me. The, the applications I've scored the ones that score really well are the ones that clearly have someone on staff who is a full-time grant writer or has done this a time or two. Or they contracted with someone. Or or they've contracted with with an expert because they can afford to do that. And these people understand how it works. And so they're checking all the boxes. They're saying all the right things. They're filling the forms out correctly. Because of the way they're scoring, as a reviewer, I can give them full marks because they're doing all the things they're supposed to do. Then I'll get to an applicant, especially when they're communities I've been to before. So I know, you know, I know the struggle they're going through. I know they could probably use more help than any other application I've read so far, but they're not answering the questions fully. They're, they're halfway answering them. They're, they're not doing, but based on, but they're giving them their data they're giving. You're like, oh my gosh, they need help. They need help more than any of these other ones that have scored but perfect, but they're not going to get it because they don't know how to play the game. And so it's like this, the deck is just stacked against them. So they're not going to get the money, which means next year it's probably going to be worse. Now what's interesting I um, and each time I've reviewed for these, I don't get selected every year, um, and I certainly don't get the same communities year after year. Um, but there was one year I don't know if there was a year or two between, but I had read the same community's application, and it's I mean they clearly had needed help, and their, but their application just wasn't meeting the scoring rubric's requirements. A year or two later, I got the same community. Some they I don't know who they found to write their grant. It was. Data was still the same because things hadn't gotten better, but they had found their grant writer who knew how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And I, um, of course, I don't know. I never go and check and see who wins all of them, but I, they got a much higher score that go around. Um, so I was hopeful for them that they were finally getting the help that they need. Um, but it's, you know, oftentimes it's the quality of the grant writing maybe sometimes even more so than the true needs and assets of the community that wins the grant award. Again, it just goes back to making sure you know how to say what needs to be said. Um, And I say that as a person who makes her living writing grants, you know, Um, it's, it's the job we do. Right. And, you know, would I like to say, Oh, I'll, I'll do pro bono for all these communities. I'd love to do that, but I, I have my own children to feed and put a roof over their head. So that's, you know, that's, something I can't do at this point in my life, but it's, I just don't like how it's set up. No, I don't either. And also if you're listening, I I don't, I can't read your mind. Um, but you, you may be thinking, Oh, well, easy for them to say, cause they're not in these employment situations where they get going for this grant, even though they may not need it. And it's true. Um, 
I'll speak for myself. I am talking to you today from the privileged position of being a consultant who works from home. And I can be choosy about clients. Um, and, and I always look for a fit with a client wh- where we're sharing some values and experience because, you know, I'm not an employee. And um, it's also true that I've been doing this for a while, and I forget who, who told me this, and I'm sorry I'm not giving credit where credit's due, but the wise person who, who said, you know, about how if you travel more than 35 miles from home as a consultant, your opinion is instantly more valued, you know? It's like it's hard to be a prophet in your own hometown. That's, I'm just, I'm not going to say anything else, but I, um, and I'm not a prophet. But it's just strange but true. It's a very interesting dynamic. But um, I would like to offer um, a real-life example of a place where I was an employee. I was employed by the Atlanta Community Food Bank um, for many years. And this is an example of something that they did as an organization that I think is a really interesting example of something to perhaps consider if you find yourself working at a larger organization. So um, it, again, it was it was probably about 10 or 11 years ago by now. Um, they, and if you don't know how food banks work, I'll tell you quickly, and this it'll, maybe it'll make more sense why they did the grant this way. Um, so most food banks that are, that are sort of accredited or certified by Feeding America, they all have the same kind of setup where they're huge warehouses. They have many programs and outreach, but they have partners in the community that are like mom and pop food pantries or soup kitchens at churches or what have you that go to them. And usually they pay some sort of minimal fee to shop there that just covers some warehouse costs, like 10 cents a pound or something. I'm just, I'm making this, that number up, but I mean, it's very minimal. So at the time, the food bank had several, a couple hundred, maybe 300 partners. Um, And so the idea that there were partners who would get more food if they had a truck that worked, if they had a trailer to put the food in, the need was there, but there were some barriers that these uh, community partners were having and accessing more food. They could distribute it if they could get it. So the food bank did a couple of things, and, they're, and, and obviously they've expanded a lot more now. They're in a huge new location. They have regional distribution centers. But So they started that, but at the same time, the talk was, well, if these, these small nonprofits had bigger capacity, they could do more good. So this spawned um, some conversations with one of the large uh, funders, private funders in the Atlanta area. It's the Woodruff Foundation. They have several funds, um, sort of buckets of money within their organization. And so the grant was, after talking this through with them, the grant was, um, it was one of my favorites. It was uh, basically, it was a, a grant to subgrant to these smaller agencies who could not apply themselves to the Woodruff Foundation because the Woodruff Foundation doesn't generally fund small organizations. That's just mm-hmm. how they roll. And so I thought it was a great way of there was some overhead, sort of there was a part of a staff person's time. We set up a grant review committee. We did all those things. I was there to go, please do not make this a huge, nasty proposal because don't. And so, um, and I was part of the review committee. I wrote the grant, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just, it was a really, so it's like they were able to get more trucks out there to help um, folks 
get um, either freezers, uh, commercial freezers in their facilities or rental freezers or purchase freezer units. I learned so much about freezer units and trucks. You have no idea. I bet you did. (laughs) But they built that capacity. So in the end, of of course, it benefited the food bank because they're distributing more food. Then they could ask for more food and get more food. And of course, serving more hungry people, which is the whole reason y'all all exist to begin with. Yep. So anyway... I was trying to make a long story short. Let's say I made it medium length. I'm just going <laughs> to say that to me, that was a really great example. And, and you know, the food bank could have, and I could have written a proposal. Yeah, we need five more trucks. Y'all just need to give us five more trucks so we can get, but that would have only solved part of the problem. That is not to say I did not crank out grants to get trucks because we needed trucks. But in this particular instance, it was true. Let's get out and, and, build that infrastructure because the need is there the people who want to serve are there let's let's get it together so i just that was a feel good for me that was a real feel good example of how to to work together yeah well and that just goes to show too part of that collaboration isn't just hey we're the big food bank we're going to help you get money mm-hmm. but you've built partnerships with these agencies you've been worked with them you've clearly been listening to them saying things like hey we'd love to do more but here's where we're lacking and so not you know, for you to go to that grant, you had to know what they needed, which means you had to communicate with them. And so that's, to me, that's such a great example of collaboration in its truest form of just an entire working together mm-hmm. versus you being the food bank coming in and telling them, well, this is what y'all need to do. And this is how we're going to do it for you kind of a thing. I, it's a beautiful story. It was, it was really cool. It was really cool. And I'm, I'm sure that there are other things like that that are going on. And the Food Bank is a great organization. It is not a perfect organization. I just wanted to hold up a personal example because this may, this may really um, um, confuse you, Amanda, to know that there are not a lot of ready-made examples of collaborative grant seeking out there between agencies that people want to talk about. What? I uh, know. <sighs> anyway. Wah, wah. <laughs> More sound effects. <laughs> okay. Well, that kind of shared grant seeking also happens in the federal and state granting sectors where the larger agency writes the grant and then administers it to smaller nonprofits or other agencies who then carry out pieces of that entire program. Okay. So this this way, smaller agencies get to benefit from the grant revenue, but assume a smaller part of the burden of administering and reporting on a huge grant. Um, a good example of this, I'm actually sharing an example of a friend of ours. Um, the city oh, and it of, really is a friend, right? Because I'm really, looking at you right yeah, now. Yeah, no, no, it's, no, she's friend. right, y'all. It is really, it's not a friend. I'll even name them because I love the work they're doing. Um, in the city of Roswell, Georgia, um, two grant professionals we know, Danny Blitch and Charles Alford, um, they... <laughs> they um, help run a great community development block grant. So if you don't know about CDBG money, it comes from HUD, Housing and Urban Development. Um, You can do all kinds of things with this. You can do programs. You can run water lines to homes, build sidewalks, playgrounds, have transportation. You can do so many things with CDBG money, but the the, the caveat is it has to benefit low to moderate income individuals and family. They have to be the main beneficial group of As it project. should be. That's the whole I mean, it's rare it. that I agree with government policies a yes. lot, but I'm like, y'all, you got that one right. <laughs> so um, the city of Roswell gets an automatic allocation because CDBG, the block grant portion comes down between mm-hmm. based on population and some mm-hmm. other things, right? So Roswell's got a decent enough population. Now, could this city take that money and spend all of it on projects that they want to do in their community? Absolutely. That is 
they're able to do that because they get a direct allocation. But they recognize that as a city government, they didn't have a whole lot of projects that would truly benefit those in need, but they knew there were tons of nonprofits in the city that were doing some great and wonderful things. So what they do is they do an application process for those nonprofits to apply to receive they're, they're sub-awarding that money to them for them to be able to provide those services to the, the folks in need. And because the city the city gets that entitlement money, Danny and Charles, I think Charles is mostly in charge of this aspect of the project, but he helps make sure reporting gets done. Because, I mean, it's, let me just tell you, I always tell people, if you ever manage or deal with HUD grants and money, there is a special place in heaven for you. Um, so God bless those guys for make, making it easier on their sub-recipients um, so they can actually go out and do the work, but mm-hmm. all the grant and federal crazy requirements are are being met. Because otherwise, those folks would have to apply directly to the state to get a portion of that money, and that would it would be much more competitive, less money to go around. Um, and so it's it's a great way to do it. And this this is like how do I want to say this? These are grant grants, right? It's not like sometimes you hear lip service. You don't hear, do you hear lip service? Do you see lip service? It doesn't matter which verb I use. But <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I realize that there could be, and certainly not in the city of Roswell, but just across the land, there could be favoritism. There could be unfair practices. Oh, yeah. There could be all kinds of things going on. We're not saying, oh, oh, panacea. We're just trying to hold up some real world examples of things. And what I said by, is this a grant grant? They're getting, they're it's getting an application these, and they get scored they're getting, and, yes. and they're getting money to, it's yes. not like, it's not like fill out all this business. Aren't you proud of me for saying business, fill out all this business. And then, um, you could, you're, you'll be eligible for a grant for $2,500. It's like, no, no they're getting no. enough money to do, do a project no. and make change happen. Yeah. Because uh, I just, there was a client that I worked with a, a few years ago and I don't, anyway, it doesn't matter, but, um, they were wanting to do a grant where it was like the same the same idea as you just mm-hmm. said, but the difference was, well, we're going to have a. They start talking about consortium and a collaborative network, and my eyes just gently began to roll to the back of my head because basically what they wanted was all the money. And then they were going to form a collaborative network with quotes and then invite these smaller nonprofits to participate, but they weren't really going to give them any money. And I all, I just have to go on record as saying, and anyway, that grant ended up not moving forward and I was more than happy to move on because that's just, that's just not right. Yeah, I mean, no. the idea is to get the money's an energy and the idea is to get that energy out where it can do the most good and so city of Roswell could have duplicated those programs and services and hired a bunch of people and kept that money for themselves and created another layer of bureaucracy. But to their credit, they did not. Nope. But I would also say if you are at a larger organization and it looks like it's going down that we'll have a collaborative network and we'll come talk and we'll buy them lunch, please don't. I mean, I mean, I mean buy lunch yeah. because that's, not, that's the right thing to do. But, but something substantive needs to happen so mm-hmm. that not so that you can get – $250,000 and give out $2,000 grants to 10 organizations and tell yourself you're doing good. Cause I am, I am judging you. If that's what you're doing, <laughs> I'm, sitting, I'm sitting in judgment and I'm yes. not being a good person, but I'm just telling you, that's not the mm-hmm. way to go. Yep. So, 
But if you want to advocate in your own community for a more inclusive style of grant seeking and sharing, but your organization's leadership is not really sold on it, um, this that is a good time for you to point out some of these examples, or maybe you've got some you other ones you know about. Um, and so talk about not only, hey, people have done it and it works, but funders really do like seeing agencies collaborate. It shows that you play nicely in the sandbox, which is always a good thing. And you can generally get more money when you're collaborating because you're serving more people rather than just a single agency-focused grant. Um, and so in the long run, everybody's winning. So, of course, there's always exceptions, but those are two good and powerful arguments you could use if you're, you know, bosses and boards are like, eh, we don't want to do that. Why would we want to do that? We want all the money to ourselves. Well, Or if they turn around to you and say, well, they're going to knock the smile off your face if you yeah. between them and the funder. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jethro. Anyway, um, collaborative fund seeking. You know, it's not just for grants. We've given you lots of grants examples. Um, and But there's also many examples um, out in the wild of fundraising. <laughs> and if, um, if you've been listening to our podcast for a, a long time or for a while or just a minute, first of all, thank you. Um, second of all, it may have come to your attention that I am not the biggest fan of <clears throat> fundraising galas as great ways to build sustainability or to keep your development directors employed happily. But I am pleased and proud to give a fundraising example. This is also from the Atlanta Community Food Bank, although there are probably examples um, in your communities all over the place, wherever you're listening. I'm just using a personal example where I was employed and can speak from sort of within the organization. Um Every year, now 2020, they did it uh, slightly differently, obviously, but um, the Atlanta Community Food Bank has a hunger walk. I mean, it's got to have been at least 30 years now. I mean, it's just been a long time, every year. And it's, in my defense, it is not a fundraising gala. It is a walk. And I have nothing against any of this stuff. You just have to see it for what it is and see if it's the right fit. But it's a very well-established and beloved community event. 5K walk, 10K run, et cetera, et cetera, entertainment. So um, it's heavily advertised and promoted and um, very well attended, and they make make good money off of it. Um, But it also, they have faith Based community partners that also participate in and are also the beneficiaries, um, like the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta, um, um, and I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank, but I'm sure that there are some Baptists and Methodists and Catholics and everybody all up in there, and um, there's some temples and there's some mosques represented there. And forgive me, um, it's been several years since I participated, uh, worked that event, but. So there are at least six faith-based organizations that participate. And so the food bank assumes the bigger burden of the share, of the overhead. And at the time I was working there, and it 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 may have changed now, there was one person full-time that focused on that almost exclusively, a full-time employee. It was a big event. And there were other people, and we all supported the event when it came around. But for these churches, temples, mosques, and other faith-based communities that participate in it, they can, everybody, you know, they can get their teams together, everybody registers, and they get um, a, a good share of the proceeds so that they can do more work. Some of them choose to sub-grant, some do other things with their mission work. So it's um, it's obviously not perfect. There are a lot of moving parts, but I think it's a great way to showcase different groups coming to 
together. You know, if you are working at some place where people are just hell-bent on starting something like that, maybe look at, are there ways we can bring other organizations? Like, maybe it's a citywide um, walk or run, but it benefits the local animal shelter. It visits, it, it benefits the local um, uh, um Childcare services for people with lower income, you know, like a, like yeah. several nonprofits come together. Maybe that's the way to go to think about collaborative fundraising through events. Yeah. Well, you have more people and you probably get a wider spread of the marketing and a, uh, more people know about it and it's a bigger event and it's, it's probably a, a winner for a lot of reasons. And it's kind of like, not well okay it's not like that at all but you know like amanda when you were at city of alpharetta they had taste of alpharetta right uh-huh. taste of alpharetta wasn't just one it wasn't taste of john doe's restaurant on main street it was everybody it was came together and so yeah. it was you know coming together to offer um to bring people together to promote the hospitality and service industry in alpharetta too but it wasn't every individual restaurant didn't host its own taste of alpharetta on four different weekends throughout the year i mean sometimes it really is strength in numbers and bringing oh, bringing just bringing it together so maybe that's the kind of argument that could help get something like that off the ground yep very true well, and if you're wondering about like, yeah, great, Amanda and Kimberly, this sounds awesome, but I, I you know, <laughs> the powers that be will never work together. They'll never agree. They'll never make this happen. May I suggest that you consider rather than starting from the top down, but you start from the bottom up. Um, oh, subversion. I love it. Tell I me know. more. So when I worked for the city of Alpharetta, um, I mentioned the guys in Roswell. Well, Roswell and Alpharetta, neighboring cities, we often talked about collaboration. Um, and, but we also knew that like getting everything passed through all the boards and the this and the that, uh-huh. by the time everybody agreed on a project, the deadline would have come and gone three times uh-huh. already, right? So we decided, what if we get together and we figure out what the project should be, how things, we just basically figure out everything. Now we'll still have to take it to our board for approval. So we're not, you know, slipping one by anybody, but if we come with everything packaged and ready, then it's just a, do you like it or do you not? Not an arguing over, well, you shouldn't get that much money and I shouldn't, all that's done. We've all figured that out. Um, And so we formed towards the end, we invited all of the cities in North Fulton. So Fulton County is huge. Atlanta's kind of smack dab in the middle. So every every city that was in the county that was north of Atlanta, mm-hmm. and we started with that, and there were six communities. Um, and so us grant folks, we met occasionally in person to kind of talk about things. And just our our goal wasn't every grant to go after as a group because, you know, that large of an area, what worked for one didn't work for others. But our just thought process was if a grant opportunity comes out that it makes sense for some sort of collaboration, whether it's all of us or three of us, Let's just start having those conversations. Um, and so, and the way we worked it is we come together and we usually, you know, like one year we applied for, um, we all needed some new radios. So we were pl- applying for a grant together for radios and we broke it down based on, Hey, you need, if the, let's say it's a 10% match. If you need $10,000 worth of radios, then you take, you would pay the 10% match of that $10,000. Yeah. If I needed 70,000 worth of radios, I'm going to pay the 10% of the portion that's coming to me. So it's, you know, it was fair. If, you know, sometimes it was broken down. Some cities were smaller. So, you know, the percentages were, well, you're a smaller community. Just try to make it as fair as possible. But 
we would occasionally come together and do joint applications that way. Did we win every grant we went after? No. Um, but did it make sense a lot of times for us to come together rather than to compete against one another? Yes, Absolutely yes, yes. did. And let me tell you, I, I of, of those joint grants that we figured out, and again, you know, we weren't going to the fire chief telling them, hey, we think you need 20 radios. We were all getting input from, from our departments. Right. But by the time we came to council and said, this is the grant we're going for, and oh, by the way, we're partnering with these cities. Here's how it's breaking down. No one ever turned them down. But again, if we had left it up to the mayor and council oh, to God, figure it would, out. Amanda, they'd still be talking about it. He, probably. So um, so that is my suggestion. If you're like, they'll never go for it, then maybe instead of trying to get them to work out all the details, find your counterparts. And, you know, not every city we worked with had a grant writer on staff. So then it was just like one place, They it was their city manager. I knew him. So I called him and I said, I know you don't have a grant writer. Who would you want to be kind of your representative? And he was like, you know what? I'll do it. Okay. You know, so even though he was the city manager, he was sitting around with the rest of us figuring things out. Um, so I highly recommend you give that route a whirl if you're having a tr- having any trouble collaborating. Do it yourself. Yes. So Kimberly and I started this podcast because we were passionate about sharing what we know and about expanding our grant sinking and fundraising horizons by interviewing thought leaders in all aspects of our field. Um, We're committed to providing you these how-tos in grant development and fundraising, but we also want to make sure to explore the whys of doing what we do. You know, why, why do we do it this way? And please don't tell me because we've always done it that way. That just... I'll make you put $10 in the jar for that. That's for sure. Mm, 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 um, walk away. <laughs> nothing's ever going to change in our field if we don't first hold out examples of what we can change. And listen, if you have some good examples of how your organization or someone in your community is working to end this Hunger Games style of grant seeking, we would so love to hear from you. Please email us at fundraisingheyday at gmail.com. And that's spelled fundraisingheyday, H-A-Y-D-A-Y, at gmail.com. So give us a shout. Thank you again to our Season 4 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest free resources today. And thank you for listening. We wouldn't do it without you because we couldn't do it without you. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts to help spread the word. It really helps us um, in the hidden algorithms, the mysteriousness that, that are our podcast overlords and um we would just really appreciate it we're honored that you chose to spend time with us and we would love for this podcast to be part of your professional development lineup thanks again for joining us we appreciate your time and your support join us for our next episode when we talk to someone who successfully made an entire state grant process easier to navigate And on top of that, saved her state more than a million dollars. You know I'm excited about this. Oh, it's just, it's a, it's a good, it's a feel good story for the ages. It is. And in my eyes, she's a superhero. So join us for our superhero interview in two weeks. Bye guys. Bye.